man, Jerry and Steven gave up a lot. They had a lot saved up after they canceled their final interviews with us on the radio station, but they were speaking (laughs) yesterday in Mobile, Alabama, and we got to talk about the brand-new offensive line coach. Mike Solari is going to replace Joe Philman. Mike Solari uh, spent 2018 to 2021 with Seattle. He was an assistant O-line coach under McCarthy for a year in Green Bay. And he had a two-year run with the Cowboys under Tom Landry from 87 to 88. So McCarthy was taking that Tom Landry, Jerry Jones comment seriously. He's like, let's go ahead and bring in the old gang from the Landry days. Bobby, who is Mike Solari? So Mike Solari is a guy who he's he's been out of the league. Uh, which I always have a little hesitation when it looks like you're pulling somebody off of the beach who uh, was was kind of disgracefully let go at their last job. Not for anything off the field, but just in terms of his performance because he had been the offensive line coach in Seattle and remember all the criticism about uh, the offensive line during Russell Wilson's days there. Yeah. And the last time when he got fired, Pete Carroll's quote was, something had to change. And that was their solution. It's similar to the way we're talking right now about the Cowboys offensive. Something had to change, and that's how the, the Seahawks chose to address it. So he, he uh, I called around some people yesterday who know him, who are familiar with him, and uh, the general word I got back was, yeah, good coach. He's decent coach. There, there was nobody who was like, he's one of the best. There was nobody who's like, oh, my gosh, this is a disaster hire. Just kind of seemed like from everybody like, okay, sure, yeah, Solari's fine. Choppy, it appears on the surface that there's no reason to swap out Joe Philman for Mike Solari. Phil, Phil, what? Phil, Phil ben. ben. Phil Ben? Yeah, like Regis. Mm-hmm. Regis yeah. Philbin. Yeah, but no one, everyone pronounces it as an M, don't they? Regis Philman? Regis Philbin? I don't think so. No oh. one said Regis Phil Ben. <laughs> no one. I think they did. No, Regis Philman. <laughs> I think they said Philbin. <laughs> you just said M. And not B. I did Regis, not. <laughs> Regis Philbin. Philbin. Regis Philbin. Yeah. No, it's like an LM, it sounds like. Shut up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm right on this. I think I'm right on this. But it doesn't. Mo- it, I'm Mommy Melt. It doesn't seem to make any sense why you would make this change with Coach Joe after, uh, after last year and the job he did with the Cowboys offensive line up front. Why? I, 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 I agree. It doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Maybe they just wanted a new voice, or maybe since this guy had um worked with McCarthy in McCarthy's system uh, that he would have a better handle on what to do as if okay. Joe Philbin didn't already know what to do. Who? Philbin. As if Joe Philbin didn't already know what to do, right? <laughs> no one said B. No one, I'm telling you, said yeah, B. We said B. It's, Here it's is... not a hard B. You know, you don't say Phil Bin, it's Philbin. Philbin. That's not Philman. It's Philbin. There's a big Here difference. Is, here's Stephen Jones. I could not believe that Stephen was this transparent. I thought this was an amazing answer yesterday when explaining the differences between Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore. You know, he wants to, just like you would a quarterback, not like you, unlike you would any coach, you want them to thrive and bring what they bring to the table. I just think Mike wanted Kellen to roll and but he didn't totally 100%, you know, agree with all the philosophies and, you know, the small things that go into. And I think it ultimately came down to, hey, if we're going to take the next step, he wants to see if he can put his, you know, if you will, 
make the changes that he thinks will make a difference that he didn't necessarily think Kellen might have believed in. And that's, you know, that's common. I mean, we had that with Jason and Scott Linehan and Mark right. Colombo right. and Callahan right. on down the line. And I also think that Mike thinks he can mail the passing game to the running game, you know, with who he's going to hire for the offensive line, uh, Lunda and the tight ends, and ultimately the running backs and the running back coach. He wants to bring all that together. And I think it's a, I think it's outstanding. And uh, I think he's got a great chance for us to take the next step. So, uh, Mike Solari's pass and run uh, block win rates in Seattle his last three years. Pass was 15, 9, and 28. His run was 28 and 16. Uh, so, at best, you were getting league average. Now, how much of that was him versus their inability to stack talent on the offensive line? I mean, you can't. Yeah. There's only so much you can do. Well, a lot of Tolos yesterday were worried. They said, we hope this is not his Mike Nolan hire on offense as the Cowboys have a new offensive line coach. Bobby, what did you make of Steven's answer and explanation? I loved it. I, I'm glad. Like, don't don't beat around the bush here. Like, I mean, if, you, if you're going to make this move, uh, you know, say it with your chest and and let people know, like, hey, this is these are the these are the reasons why this wasn't working out anymore. These are the reasons why we think this is going to be better. And I think they understand that there's a lot of pressure on explaining away what happened to the offense at the end of the year, why Dak was turning the ball over, and they need to give concise answers to why it's like this is the reason why it's going to be different. So don't lie about it. Just just come up front, own it, say yeah, there were differences of opinion there, and, that's fine. and it wasn't working anymore. Yeah, and that's absolutely fine to have differences of opinion. What may not be fine is Jerry Jones talking about Zeke's future here. As we will review even more the season, uh, we're going to see the positives in Zeke. Zeke will look better uh, the more you look at what he brought to the table as we get into reviewing what the season was. And so... uh, uh, I don't want to talk about Zeke until we uh, uh, have had the benefit of really evaluating our whole season. So you're but, you're uh, but, but I do know this without even looking at an evaluation. Zeke was a lot more incremental to the success that we had than his rushing yards indicate. But you do want him? I believe that. You do want him back next year? Would like to have him back next year, yes. You would like to have yes, him back? Would like to have him back. Steven also added it has to work financially for both sides. Bobby, you're chuckling. Yeah, well, first off, he said uh, incremental. I think he meant integral, uh, yeah. that he was more integral to because he absolutely was incremental. Yeah, one to two yeah. yards at a time is very yes, incremental. What are you going to tell him how to say the name of his offensive line coach next? <laughs> Bad, dude. I, I, think the, uh, I, I think that they, they clearly – have a love for Zeke. It's it's one of these things that past the what he does on the football field, they love him in the locker room. They love him as, man, a, a lifetime cowboy. I think that it would, not that it's exactly the same, but I think it'd kill them similarly, especially Jerry, to have like an Emmett to the Cardinals type of situation. I don't think he wants to see that. I think he wants Zeke to be a legacy guy. Uh, but the other quote there from Steven yesterday was he didn't see any drop-off. And it's like, Okay, that better that argument better be that Zeke has been bad for three years and not that you still think Zeke is good. 
I can see that. I can see that. That that that's what it was. I, I didn't see any drop off. He's already been bad. That's the only way you can possibly <laughs> say it. That's the only way. Other than that, there's nothing because he was he was terrible. Who's an all time championship glue guy in sports? Like a guy that felt like a glue guy, not the star. That's the way that Zeke is being treated around here. Like things could fall apart if we didn't have his leadership. Like not Derek Andre Fisher. Iguodala. Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala is a great one. He's being treated like Andre Iguodala around here. And Michael Irvin, who's coming on 820. Like Troikman was on the same bandwagon. I think Brad Sham is on the bandwagon. Aikman jumped off of it in the last game he called. I, I think it was the Tampa Bay game. Like they don't want to give it up. They don't want to admit defeat. They, they, they don't want to yeah. admit defeat when it's obvious to everyone else around here. Uh, was Broadus on that bandwagon too? Was that the reason for his fight with G-Bag o- over Zeke and Pollard? Yeah, he, he thought that it, he was like, it's working, why mess with it? And I think he shifted by the end of the year. But at the time, I think he thought, yeah, Zeke needs to be the lead and there's still a, a place for Zeke in the running game. Now, Steven did say it has to work financially. So that's Steven saying uh, we got to reduce that salary and payment. Uh, the key question there is, will Zeke be able well, – I guess the number one question is, would they make Zeke the number two to start the year? And would Zeke be able to handle that – in terms of his role. And RJ, they said that they believe Tyron Smith and Jason Peters will return in 2023. Jason Peters right now with Tom Brady's retirement is the oldest active player in the NFL. That's a crowded, crowded room, man. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, those those, those are good names. I mean, you need, you you need names in depth. Yep. I got the, I got the question for Bobby as he's grimacing. Maybe this is a crazy question. I think it is crazy, but I just want to test you. Okay. If you could only have one come back, who would it be? Zeke or Tyron or Tyron no, or no. Jason Peters? Tyron or Jason. Um, probably. Oh, my God. Ty- is it a close Jason, decision? No, it's, it's, it's Jason Peters, like, bang for your buck, it's Peters. But, like, I mean, he's he's so much older. If Tyron would, would maybe work down his salary and give you some relief, it would be Tyron. Was Tyron bad at right tackle? He was either good or bad. There was, like, no – there was no consistency. There was no, you know, in between. He was, you know, for instance, really good against Tampa. He wasn't as good against San Francisco. He was uh, good against Jacksonville. He was uh, awful – in, uh, I believe, the game against uh, Philly, I think it was. He wasn't very good. Or Washington at the end of the year, he was awful. Um, so, hit or miss. Your, your tackles next year need to be Tyler Smith and Terrence Steele, regardless yeah. of, of who you bring back. Yeah, so Jason Peters and Tyron Smith would be on your bench. They'd be your depth people. So, yeah. Peters. Wow. Jason Peters. So, this is part of all the Cowboy news. Oh, yeah. And Jerry said they're starting over at kicker. Choppy, is that too harsh of a move following the Pro Bowl year Brett Maher had given the end? They're starting over. Is it too harsh? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it is kind of harsh, but, like, we've seen this before. You know, teams will go in and out on kickers all the time, and and you can't really predict when the kicker is going to fall off a cliff. Um, You know, is, is Brett Maher closer? Was that a career year? You know, was that a career year for him where he was over yes. 90%? Yes, it was. Yeah. So what's the likelihood that he all of a sudden had his career year and he's going to be a great player or that he's going to revert back? You know, maybe it is time to go somewhere else. 
877-881-1053. Cowboys headlines here on Sean, RJ, and Bobby. It's DFW Sports Station. We got Joey running things for Peyton, and we got Ryan in the back making the fan cam, Twitch, and YouTube go. So in order to thank you again, uh, we'll thank you Saturday at Fan Bowl in Arlington. Make sure you roll on out there starting at 2 o'clock. Revolver Brewing uh, inside Texas Live. We have a Brooks and Dunn ticket giveaway, and we're going to binge with Bobby. Over the past few days, you're probably inside, you're on the couch, and you're binging everything, including Pam Anderson. Let's find out what you've been binging with Belt next on The Fan. Binging. (laughs) Filming. 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 You are right here in the expressway, commercial free until 8 o'clock, quickly becoming our most popular segment, most interactive segment of the entire show here on Sean, RJ, and Bobby at 820, Odyssey NFL Insider. Michael Irvin. Insider calls are brought to you by driveway.com. Car buying delivered on your terms and on your turf. So the playmaker at 820 and then the future Hall of Famer, Demarcus Ware, at 9 o'clock. The whales are reappearing right here on the fan. But what has – Joey, that's when you hit the whale button. Come on, you were one for one earlier. You're one for – Got it. There, there you is. go. We're trying to uh, Wally Pitt Peyton, so we need you. We need you to, you know, we need you to be on your game in order to replace Peyton, who is uh, on vacation for the rest of the week. All right, what has everybody been binging? 877-881-1053. 877-881-1053. This hour, we have a Brooks and Dunn ticket giveaway. Uh, the two things that were on the wife's list for me was that movie You People. With Eddie Murphy and Julia Louise Dreyfus and Jonah Hill. And we also watched the Pam Anderson Netflix mm. documentary, Roberto Belt. Yes. Did you? So you guys, uh, you guys were able to get through it as well? Get through it? Yeah. Like, like, cause I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Like, I think when you hear her start explaining her story and everything, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. My big takeaway, this is uh, the, the I th- I think, Netflix I think what doc- me- I, Real quick, I think what messed it up a little bit for me, I watched the Pam and Tommy. I can't remember what, what it came out on. Yeah, Hulu, Hulu. I watched yeah, that, that was- so throughout the first begin- the beginning or like through the midway point, I was like, okay, I kind of knew this. I was very familiar with this. And then I really liked the Pam documentary towards towards the end. But I think you and I may end up with a, with different feelings on this. Oh, okay. This is good. Okay, so uh, Choppy, I don't. I don't think you've seen this yet. It didn't sound like you had uh, when we were talking about it on the text the other day. Um, but it's uh, it's on Netflix. It's called Pamela Love Story. This is also uh, in conjunction with a new autobiography she has out called Love Pamela, and it's a very, very depressing open. The first ten minutes of this documentary are basically. Hey, here's a, how awful my life is and, and the backstory. And I think when you see some of that, a lot of the rest of her public image throughout her, her career starts making a little bit of sense. Because uh, she talks about how when she was really young, um, she was abused by her babysitter. Uh, it said she literally at one point as a child tried to, to like kill her babysitter uh, with a pen. 
uh, because she was just so angry at her. Um, she talks about being um, she she sex- she she wished death upon the babysitter one day. The next day, the babysitter got in a car accident and died. So she was living with feeling like she had the power or living with the guilt of killing the babysitter because oh. she literally died the next day after wishing she was gone. Yep, and she and then she talks about right after that she mentions that like oh yeah when I was uh, twelve I, uh, I I was uh, sexually assaulted by a twenty five year old uh, and that that's how uh, I I ended out you know losing my virginity was was through that experience and so it's just a lot of damage and and you hear about kind of the volatility of her her parents and and how they uh, interacted with each other and and how difficult that was. You start hearing that. That's the first 15 minutes, basically. And then it's like, my gosh. And the and then dad she talks drinking. Of, the dad was oh, drinking. Yeah, the, abusive relationship that she saw. And she said it would be really, really uncomfortable for them. Where they, her parents would be, like, going at each other, like, screaming and fighting. And they're like, oh, my gosh, let's get out of here. And the kids would leave the house. And they would come back in a little bit later. And they would be, like, making out on the counter. <laughs> and that, like, you know, it, it sounded... Oddly enough, as, as we'll get a little bit further down, this sounded a little bit like her and Tommy Lee's relationship, oh, like just shocker. that same sort of volatility. Yeah. Um, but she obviously, for those who don't know, she was at a uh, Canadian football league game when she was like 18, and she just got put up on the jumbotron. She was wearing Labatt's beer, this shirt, and everybody just fawned over and were like, "Find that girl." get her down to midfield. We're going to do a promo with her. And she immediately just blew up as this viral sensation in the late 80s in Canada. Um, And then through that, she talks about how Playboy ended out reaching out to her and saying, we have been searching everywhere for the girl, like the girl that we want to say, like this is the perfect girl for our, I think it was October 88 issue. And we think you're it. And she, I bet you, I bet you still got that one. Uh, she, she talks about how when she gets to the Playboy Mansion, that that was the first moment she felt oh free. Like she, she had a little bit of anxiousness about doing it, Insecure. and then she said, five days later, she said you couldn't keep my clothes on. And huh. there's a little, yeah, which I mean, that, that kind right. of became the case throughout the rest of the time. But the big chunk of this entire documentary i feel like after that just kind of setting up her career and talking about how she ended up on baywatch and how much fun she had there the big setup here is mainly just how she feels like the pam and tommy tape ruined her life yeah and and how the discussion about it ruined her life and and just the volatility of the relationship with tommy lee and all those issues so choppy choppy real quick i don't know if you know this but the way the tape was stolen, at least the way they portrayed it on Hulu, is it was like a bitter construction worker. Someone, Seth Rogen was playing the guy. And Tommy was such, I like the music there, Joey. Tommy was such <laughs> a jerk to this guy that in order to get revenge, the construction worker broke in their safe and went and stole the tape out. And then it got made into copies and everything. But it was a bitter construction worker that was doing work on the home that went in and robbed the safe because, according to him, Tommy was was such an ass. How, how did he know they had a tape in there? He didn't know. He just wanted to rob them. Oh. He, did, he just wanted to go in. He knew that it was the prized possessions, and he's like, screw this. I'm taking this whole damn safe. And in Hulu, it has him not breaking. The safe is literally, it's like a six by six by three by four safe. I mean, this thing's a monster. And in Hulu, it shows him getting the whole safe out of the house, 
over the gate. Like, he didn't just break in and take the tape. Yeah. He took the whole safe out of there, according to Hulu. But he didn't know the tape was in there. He just wanted to rob, he wanted to rob to- Tommy. Man, that, that's, that's wild. Like, it's like talking about hitting a jackpot if you're that guy. I mean, you make the copies. You, you make all kinds of money. Uh, you know, Tommy, I mean, he, he, he turned out pretty well on that tape. I mean, everybody, everybody had a totally different <laughs> view of Tommy Lee by the end of that tape. Yep. Pam, yeah, I could, I could see from her vantage point how that would be like one of the worst things that could possibly happen to you. So violated uh, to have that happen. But, you know, you mentioned like the parents, dude. Everyone talks about child stars having a tough life. Man, I bet you half the time the parents are, are, are of those child stars contribute to a majority of the trauma that those kids grew up with. Uh, even, even they, you know, I was like, you know, even in my relationships, like, you know, how is like my divorce going to impact my kids yeah. in 20 yeah. years and their future relationships? It, it just, it's, it's just kind of sits with me. I mean, that used to be a starting point for me. Like I always be like, are your parents together or your parents toxic? <laughs> you know, uh, how's your mother? Cause it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna carry down. Mine's uh, dead, Sean. Just... I, I was talking about the 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 woman's mother. Okay. Oh, okay. So it would be yeah, Kristen's. You can't talk mom. about mine because she's not around. So you don't have to make it all about your mom so, all the time. This thanks, is about thanks, Kristen's thanks, mom this time. Thanks a lot. I, I think you make it about my mom pretty frequently. No, I Sean. don't. Uh, it's no, it is, it, and it's interesting. You mentioned talking about that impact. Obviously, not just the impact of divorce or, or whatever else, but the impact of. Being Pamela Anderson's kids yeah. and then oh, having oh. that tape out there. Awful. And then these kids, they talked. Uh, they're, they're all they're, – her two sons are adults now, and they talk in the, the documentary about, you know, school was hard. Like, anytime somebody mentioned mom, like, you want to get in a fight. You want to fight somebody, and yeah. kids would come home. And Pamela Anderson got really choked up at one point saying uh, her son came home, like, crying one day and was like, why did you make that tape? And it's like, damn, oh. it's like if you if you had to, like – Yep. answer for that and everybody in the school knew it but what's interesting Dude, what is, happened meant- regular what happened to you regular us regular people in middle school if someone said oh your mom's hot or if you had a sister someone made a comment i, I never had a sister choppy did um or has i have two sisters and one of them's nickname in high school was sloppy choppy how do you think that worked for me <laughs> oh my no way. gosh my own, no. yeah absolutely <laughs> Uh, but it, I was a golfer, it, it, so my nickname was Floppy Choppy, but it took out a totally different entendre. The interesting thing about all this, too, is that she she basically says they never got paid for this. They never came to any sort of a settlement. They had to drop the lawsuit over the video being distributed. Um, so she never got any money, even though they were initially offered, I guess, $5 million dollars. Uh, from one of these entertainment companies that I'll give you $5 million for the rights to tape. And they were like, nope, we're not going to do this. We're not going to have anything to do with this. And there's a little bit of bitterness, I think, from one of her sons that she did that. And, Joey, this is going to be the the first cut here. This is Pamela Anderson and her two sons uh, talking about her decision not to make money off the tape. Do you ever regret not having monetized the stolen tape? Oh, God, never. I never would monetize the stolen tape. I don't regret that at all. You could give me hundreds of millions of billion dollars. I would never take it. Never. I think it would have been a different story if she did cash in on the tape. It just shows you, right? Like, that thing guaranteed made people millions of dollars, and she was like, no. She 100% cared about her family being okay and me being okay. 
never cared about money. I wish she would have made the money. She would have made millions of dollars if she just would have signed the piece of paper. Instead, she sat back with nothing and watched her career, like, fizzle into thin air. She was in debt most of her life. And that's the oldest son. And the oldest son sounds a little bit more bitter about it than the youngest. The youngest sounds like mom is trying to protect me. And and the oldest, it seems like she has a good relationship with both her kids. They they both are, you know, really like kind of doting on her and hugging on her and everything else. Um, but the oldest, I think, just that's the one time we kind of sense some frustration where he's like, man, if it was going to be out there anyway, you should have like make sure that they were compensating you for ruining your life. And... I get that. But that's where one of my biggest takeaways, and I've been accused of being a naive sucker and, and giving too much benefit of the doubt initially with people. Man, she comes across to me as like a genuine good person who wants to yeah. do right throughout the whole thing. Not this. I felt bad for her, right? She's this dumb bimbo. Uh, everyone, let's look at your chest and let's ask you about your implants or creepy Larry King and 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 every other talk show like Jay Leno and she she like genuinely seems like she wants to do the right thing so she's like no out of principle i'm not taking any money off of this um and she's just the worst in relationships she's just like the absolute worst person are we six seven marriages oh yeah and like she talks no. about how yeah yeah she i mean she's up there now like okay she's, let's try to name the guys the let's try to name the guys for for choppy we we obviously have tommy lee Yep. Scott Bayo. Now she wasn't married to Scott Bayo, just the people that she was dating. Scott right. Bayo, Kelly Slater, the surfer. God. Um uh, uh, I forgot about Kid Rock. She married Kid yeah. Rock. Who she calls Bob. She she just calls it it's very odd. They they're referring to Bob for the first few minutes. You're like, who's Bob? And they're like, Oh, that's Kid Rock. That's not his like, oh, real okay. name, is it? Yeah, it is. His name is Bob Rock. Well, it's not Kid. <laughs> Bob Rock. No. No, his uh, his full name, uh, let me get it for you here. It's Bob Robert James Ritchie, and he goes by Bob. But, uh, yeah, she has been married now uh, five times. Well, she's been married to five guys, six marriages. So she married, annulled, remarried. Uh, Rick Solomon, the poker player, who she said uh, yeah. that relationship ended when she found a crack pipe in the Christmas tree yeah. and that that was his. Yeah. Good ornaments. Uh, she starts the documentary. She starts the documentary married. Uh, in the middle of it, she's divorced. Uh, that that marriage had fallen apart. But they they talk about it there. She just she's so in love with the idea of being in love. Yeah. And she's a little she's a little conflicted. She there's a little bit of some contradictions here because Sean, I know you mentioned that she's she's uncomfortable with the questions about her chest size and stuff. But it's like, okay, she talks about how she wants to be naked all the time, and this is what she wants. And then she's compl- she's like, but I'm being oversexualized. And then she talks about how, man, the Comedy Central roast, it, it was a little too raunchy for my taste. And then she was standing up there in a sheer top where you yeah. could see her, like, everything. She so only like- did the Comedy Central roast to advocate for PETA. She wanted that message out there. But she felt like she had to sell herself in order to get the remaining money for his her career. So was she being a hypocrite or was she desperate to hang on to any barbed wire was a, was, was a big piece of this barbed movie. Barbed wire. Gosh. Yes. Yeah, oh my gosh, barbed wire and how she had uh, gotten pregnant on the set of barbed wire uh, and then had a miscarriage not soon after. But another big part of this is just her relationship with Tommy Lee. And, dude, Tommy Lee's, like, got another wife already, I think. She was married at the time she was talking. She's still in love with him. Yes. 100%. Not over it. Uh, Joey, this is the second cut here. This is uh, 
talking about how volatile and unpredictable this is uh, Pamela Anderson as well as uh, one of the Baywatch directors or producers talking about how difficult Tommy Lee was to have around. He would always know when to show up. He would look at the call sheets. He would see what scene she was in. He probably had access to the script, and he would show up in the scenes where there could be an opportunity for him to get pissed. The whole Baywatch crew, if they saw Tommy coming, they would change the dialogue, change the scene. He was always in my high line. He would always be behind the camera. Tommy was always there. It was too much, you know. There was a terrible night when Tommy was just rocking on the floor, and Brandon was crying in the playpen, and I was holding Dylan. But Tommy was going, I want my wife back, I want my wife back. At that point, I didn't know what to do. And I just said, I need some help around here. I said, if you got to grow up, it's not about you anymore. And I'd never spoken that way to him before. I'd never, ever. I didn't recognize him. He went black. And then I started hyperventilating, scared. Brandon was shaking and screaming and holding my leg. Lee was arrested at the couple's Malibu home and charged with spousal and child abuse. He allegedly kicked his wife while she was holding the couple's infant son. And it's, you hear all that and you hear all these terrible stories and then yet she still says a couple different times something effective, I think we had the perfect love. You know, that that really was, that that's perfection right there. And it's like, man, that's... But that Is incident that how... ended it. That incident ended it, she said. Yes, it did. That was the end of their marriage. That was the end of the two-year run. It's funny. You mentioned how she was dating Kelly Slater. She had this whirlwind four-day meeting with Tommy Lee, gets married, has to call Kelly Slater to say, hey, I know we were dating, but I'm married to Tommy Lee now. Yeah. Uh, I've got a different relationship. She left for, like, Cancun and uh, came back and told him, hey, we were a couple when I left, but I'm married now. And, and that threw him off. But just in general... A whole lot of nutty stuff. I had no idea she was in the Broadway production of Chicago last year. That was their attempt to tie a bow on what was really a depressing story. Was, hey, but she she made it into Chicago and got decent. They, they like, read this one rave review where it's like, she's not a great singer, but she'll hold the notes, I guess. And uh, I think it's actually the perfect perfect role for her. Like, she can be funny. She's a funny person. Uh, It does nothing too serious. We don't have to take her as a serious actress. Uh, and she seemed to love it, and uh, I don't know. She what? She she's our number one sex symbol throughout our lives, right? In terms of a, in terms of a woman. Oh yeah, it was my. So when I turned eighteen, Uh-oh, the first Playboy I bought was the Pam Jenny McCarthy double issue, uh, and and, and I, it's still somewhere. I still got it somewhere. <laughs> I don't think it's able to be opened, probably, but it's still somewhere. Oh, probably can't close. turn the pages. Stop. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's a, it's a, it's a depre- It's two hours, and it's it's like I said, it's very depressing. They try to tie it up at the end, but in the end, you just kind of go, she's broke and sad and never recovered from this, and she still seems so damaged from everything that's happened in her life that she still thinks like her marriage with Tommy was like the most beautiful example of love, and it's like, man, this is just a lot. I uh, I did see one other thing that I, I loved. I mean, I, I was binging Hunters. I, I got Hunters caught up on Amazon Prime. If Ooh. you haven't checked that out yet, give that a shot. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting story with Al Pacino in it. Uh, they were only made two seasons. The second season's finally out. Um, but it's a, an interesting show about uh, basically vigilante Jews in the 70s taking revenge on Nazis who are hiding in America. But it's a it's it's a good drama, something worth checking out. But the funny one, really let's quickly do, here. Let, let's do a part yeah. two of binging. Let's let, let, okay. let's do, let's yeah. do a part right. two. Choppy, have yeah. you binged anything? Do you have any 
material to talk about later on? Yes. Uh, we we watched uh, White Lotus. Okay. We finished that up. Oh. Uh, and then I uh, I binged uh, my girlfriend uh, becoming uh, a Twitch streamer uh, yesterday. I'm glad you added to it. I binged my girlfriend, but no. Well, I did. Said, that was yesterday, but this is she's becoming a Twitch streamer now. Choppy so. said he now has an addicted video game player, and it's not either of his kids. So let's do binge part two. Anyone else see you people and tell us what else you watched uh, for the final hour of the show at 877-881-1053. So I've been saving this topic for days. I want everyone to do their research, their homework, and get their information on how the Cowboys offense is going to look different under Mike McCarthy. So get out all the trends and all the different strategies. This is Jerry Jones yesterday talking about McCarthy calling plays. I'm comfortable at this time because of how it's evolved. I'm more comfortable than I would have been had he started calling the plays right when he came in as head coach. I've always viewed him, rather than as a walk-around coach, I viewed him as a coach that could coach the offensive side of the ball. Why would he view him as more ready and comfortable now than when he just took over, just getting reacclimated to the league after a year? Well, I also think knowing the players, knowing the personnel, uh, knowing the terminology, uh, that was a major thing for me, uh, I think, for the Cowboys. And I love that they did it when they brought Mike in. Keeping Kellen is keeping the terminology the same for Dak Prescott. Yeah. Like, that's, that, that to me is, is, a, is a massive advantage that you can have for a quarterback. You want to screw with a quarterback, yep. uh, change schemes on him. Yep. That will mess with I think this is one of the things Mike has talked about with us every Friday that gives, I agree with you, the Cowboys an edge on other people. I think one of the big mistakes in the league, Bobby, is these teams changing coordinators so much and so often. You're learning another language every single year. You're, you're having to think and hesitate where to go with the football. What does this word mean? Uh, where do I go with it? Baker Mayfield. I, you can name endless amounts of quarterbacks. And even if it costs you a little bit in terms of like creativity or staleness, Man, I I just agree with RJ that keeping the same language in the same system is something that too many teams screw up with, and Mike McCarthy really believes in it. Yeah, and I mean, when you – the language was the same. I know we had McCarthy at the end of the year saying, well, we don't run the system that was run when Jason Garrett was here. We run something different. The the language was the same, um, but it's different. And, I mean, Kellen Moore talking yesterday to to Chargers reporters – had seemed to intimate that, hey, I was kind of taking Garrett's Air Coriel stuff, Mike's West Coast stuff, and we were creating this, like, composite scheme um, where the language was the same, but we were kind of, like, blending concepts here. Um, and so I think that that is is clear is that there was this little bit of a hodgepodge, and they needed to just make up their mind about, all right, what are we going to do? Are we going to run the, the offense that Kellen Moore wants to run? which is more the Eric Coriel, Jason Garrett, sort of Scott Linehan single back style, or are we going to run the more West Coast timing, you know, short to intermediate throws that Mike McCarthy has always run? And I think yesterday- that what you see is – go ahead. I thought you were done, babe. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say I think what you see is that that struggle – is what has caused them problems at times and probably the the explanation for 
Why are they doing this at this time? Why does this look like this? This doesn't seem to be a full scheme. And the general criticism we've got of, it looks like they're calling plays that they don't have a real scheme, and it's probably because they're trying to blend two together. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you got to look at the fan cam. Bobby gave me the penalty decline signal like I'm done. I'm ready. I was going to throw in there. Oh, you mean when Kellen Moore was talking yesterday, admitting to tampering? I want an investigation on the L.A. Chargers when Kellen Moore said, oh, yeah, I talked to Brandon Staley throughout the entire season. We just kept in touch. That's tampering right That's there, tampering. L.A. Chargers, and I want their draft pick. That is definitely tampering. There's no doubt about it. He was in uh, communication, a nonstop <laughs> communique with – Brandon Staley and the Chargers organization as illegal is against league policy and the Cowboys should have an extra first round draft pick. So Jerry was asked, all right, this new offense, McCarthy calling it. Is this Mike McCarthy's Packer offense? Uh, it will be, I'm sure, with added nuances of the times, but more importantly, the personnel. But it will uh, be, in principle, uh, the way he operated in Green Bay, which I'm sure he'll tell you evolved. And so this will have evolved. It'll see, you'll see some Kellen in this. You'll see some Linehan, I'm sure. But you're going to see a lot of, of uh, other things that uh, we haven't seen. That was appropriate when Mike first came in. This is really appropriate now. Uh, Dak can handle it. And a lot of times the changes are not what you're adding. It's what you're cutting back on. And all of this is a part of uh, uh, what I'm excited about in having uh, uh, Mike take over the offense. Okay, so now we need to figure out what this offense will look like. Mike McCarthy's Packer offense and how he's going to evolve it. So I asked a couple of uh, diehard Green Bay fans who I think uh, their opinions we would all respect here on the show. And here are the text messages I got on Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. Matchup based, which I think we all like to hear. This was a Kellen criticism, right? Kellen was just calling plays. He wasn't saying Michael Irvin would probably love to hear this. Troy would love to hear this. They're going to continue to put this guy on CD Lamb. That's a mismatch. I'm just going to keep throwing to it until they adjust. I'm not going to get the big play with CD and then get uh, Schultz involved and get Gallup involved and get Pollard a touch. No. Where's the matchup advantage and let's keep going to it? That was a little criticism of Kellen Moore. The other message I got was limited motion and crossers. And this has become a way for us regular NFL fans, not the X's and O's scout film people, to judge offenses. Choppy, it's a, it's a checklist thing, right? It's how much motion do you run and and, and, and how many people do you have moving? Yep. And how much play action? Motion and play action, you're automatically a great play caller to many people now. Yeah. I mean, that's it. They, people want to see – it's, it's weird. They want to see fluff, right? Yeah. If you, if you just have a st uh, uh, an offense where the receivers never move, it doesn't matter how different the routes are or intricate – some of the you know the newfound play callers, the Sean McVeighs, the Kyle Shanahan's, have made it such that like people think that that is like oh man, it's so unique. They got they're in motion, um, you know where where the routes they're running are in a lot of times the same. You know, there's only so many routes you can run. The the, the, the route tree is 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 only as big as it is. Like it's, you're not really gonna you're not creating new routes 
for the most part. Here's my other diehard Packer fan texting. Ultimately, it seemed like things got really stale with him as a play caller. That's why he and Rodgers clashed. He never seemed to update with the way the game was played. Lots of the same route combinations felt very predictable. Definitely was not in favor of pre-snap motion or things of that nature. So that's what I got on McCarthy and Green Bay. Uh, Choppy, then Bobby, what, what did you find? So, just just taking a look at that, you know, a lot of the times the pre-snap motion, the quarterback also dictates how much he wants. Like, I remember Peyton Manning always would say he did not want any pre-snap motion. He wanted the receivers to stay in their same spot so he could see what the defense was doing. He would do one guy in motion to see if they were playing man or zone, and then he was going to go from there. So, I wonder how much of McCarthy uh, had that in him, or, or how much of that. In terms of his effectiveness, um, I, I asked the, and, and it, I asked the analytics guy this, John, uh-huh. um, and he said it's very difficult to judge McCarthy as a play caller for the obvious reason. Aaron Rodgers, it was very difficult. He said in doing all the research he did, he could he could easily come up with answers on how good this offensive coordinator is or this one is, but when he got to coordinators that were with elites. Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, whatever. It was dang near impossible to judge them as the play caller they are because of the obvious, which is this elite player. My biggest question that they're going to have is, you know, elite quarterbacks generally don't go through scheme changes. If you go back, when Tom Brady went to Tampa, they tried it, and they went right back to the, his old system in, uh, in, in, um, uh, in New England. When Manny went to Denver... They did not run the system they had. They brought his system over. This is going to be the interesting thing. Like, what are they going to do? Like, a, a, a complete scheme change this late in somebody's career for a top 10 quarterback isn't a great recipe. I love the idea of the West Coast offense. I think it's a great offense. I think it's really, really, you know, advantageous to a lot of quarterbacks. You have to match to this player, man. And I don't know if this player is the type of guy that that works in that timing offense what, what do you think of though these days when you hear west coast offense what, what do you think of i think of a an, an evolution of the niners offense from back in our day that you know now i it's completely different um but i think the evolution of the concepts are largely the same right it's one two out you know it's it's, it's a it's a it's very much timing you're you're throwing to guys who are not there yet uh, you know, whereas the Kellen Moore offense, half the time the receivers were looking at you when they caught the pass, you know, before you even threw it. Right, Bobby? It was like it was, it was curl route central. Yeah, I mean, the that was, I think, the the problem is what you were looking at in terms of when they started trying to blend the concepts is that you started seeing weird, you know, uh, contradictions that naturally come up within the scheme. And then it, it creates this odd hodgepodge of like curls and and everything else that they were having trouble with the option routes and things like that the the biggest difference again they they Kellen Moore comes more from the Eric Coriel grouping which is more about you know trying to push the ball vertically especially by establishing the run early and then drawing the you know the the extra defender into the box and then taking advantage of things down the field um the west coast system like you said it's a lot about uh, timing, being really precise, 
uh, a lot of stuff in these short to intermediate areas. You're not going to be pushing the ball downfield a lot. Like if you if you don't think they push the ball downfield now, mm-hmm. if they're going to run like McCarthy's version of the West Coast, it's going to be a lot short of the sticks and, and a lot of quick release throws and and get the ball out. Um, in fact, let me see here. I think I can put this up for you, Sean. Uh, oh. The yeah. Let, let me see if I can get this on here. All right. So. This is uh, one of the the uh, the combos here. Uh, I love this. That is Way very, to go, Bobby. This is this is very popular. If you want to see this on the fan cam, this is very popular. It's called slant flat, and it's very popular in the West Coast offense. It's something that uh, Mike McCarthy ran a ton of, uh, and it's a really basic concept. You've got like the outside receivers up here are running the slants in breaking, and then you got the slot and the tight end, or maybe sometimes it's the back, whatever else. They're going to run routes to the flats, and so. Really, uh, the only way that you're going to be able to take advantage of these sorts of route concepts is you're going to get the ball out early. It's all stuff that's going to be inside of 10 yards. Um, That was obviously what made Montana so good in the West Coast offense with Jerry Rice, being able to hit those slants, the timing, the catch and run. Um, But you've got to be more than 10 yards, though. That's the reason he (laughs) he, he was capped at 11. He did have a a bit of a weak arm. Uh, The the thing that's interesting here is if you had trouble with option routes and you had trouble getting on the same page there do you want to introduce a system that completely relies on timing and chemistry with you and your receivers i don't know i i I don't know and if you if you don't feel like you have the guys here you need to to figure it out especially because you're talking about one of the guys that would really have that timing and that chemistry down with Dak, Dalton Schultz, he's probably about to be gone. And so I think CeeDee Lamb can do that. The other guys, though, it's like, okay, here's here's the question. Do they have the proper chemistry? Do they have the proper timing? And, and are they on enough of the same wavelength that they can pull off in a system that is very precise and very reliant on you being in the right spot and you releasing the ball at the right time? Ooh, what a you breakdown. Take that, Kurt Warner. You don't think Bobby right. Bell can, can do it. Uh, we'll talk about this with Michael Irvin at 8.20 and DeMarcus Ware at 9 o'clock here on your home of America's team. Why has everyone all of a sudden turned on Tony Romo? Bobby may be insufferable for this segment. Why are they turning on Romo? And did Philly fans just take back the crown from San Fran of being the worst of the absolute worst? Next. 